Thank you, Alice, for that reading. My name is Bob Yoder. I am uh, one of the elders here at the church. Pastor Jeff is on uh, taking a short vacation weekend uh, down to California. So uh, just bless him for that. So that, that'll be good. Um, my wife Jackie and I uh, have three children. They're all grown and, and out of the house now. Uh, two, the two daughters live in the, here in the Northwest. Our son and his wife, our daughter-in-law, live in uh, the L.A. area down in California. They've been down there for over 20 years. Uh, and Jackie and I try to get down there to visit them at least a couple of times a year. And, and we've started to try to put a theme to our visits when we go down there. One year, uh, we, we had a cemetery theme, and so we visited all the big cemeteries in Los Angeles area, Forest Lawn, and uh, you know, there's a, a Westwood Memorial Cemetery just right near uh, UCLA that, that's just kind of th through a back alley, and you go back there, and all of a sudden, there's a cemetery, and it's full of uh, uh, famous stars. Uh, Marilyn Monroe, different ones that are in that cemetery. So, uh, anyhow, we started to put a theme to our visits. One year, we put this theme of making it an art, an art and cultural appreciation theme. So we visited museums and, and art galleries. One of the places that uh, we visited was the Huntington Museum. The Huntington Museum. The Huntington, the Huntington is um, a mansion. Uh, it's a, it was the residence of uh, the, the railroad magnate uh, Huntington, who uh, now it, it holds all of these treasured artifacts. The Gutenberg Bible, a, a copy of the Gutenberg Bible is in there, one of, I think, only about 40 that exist around the world today. The uh, Blue Boy painting is in there. Massive painting. Fills, fills all, bigger than some of your large screen TVs. I mean, it, it, it is massive. It, 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 you go in there and, and that painting, famous painting by Gainsborough, uh, sits there next to the Pink Lady, which is also uh, another uh, painting. We visited uh, the Huntington Museum and, and did our, our little tour there. And, and appreciated all the different things that were there. There's a second floor. As we came out of the, one of the places, uh, there was a docent st standing there. Docents are those that are there to help guide you through uh, things, answer questions, probably also provide some level of security for the valuable treasures that are there in the museum. Docent was dressed very uh, properly, suit, stood very stoically. Jackie and I and, and our uh, son and daughter-in-law came out of one of the rooms there, uh, may have been the blue, blue, the blue boy room, and we came out and Jackie walks up to the docent. And in her best backwoodsy, uh, <laughs> comfortable saying says, is there more stuff upstairs? It was almost like she was visiting a yard sale or something, you know? It was like, I'm looking for stuff. <laughs> Is there more stuff upstairs? The docent 
was kind of taken aback by uh, uh, her remark, and, she's, and, and he turned to her and he says, yes, ma'am, there are more treasured articles upstairs. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think maybe you are like this. Sometimes I, I know I've been like this. Come to church and, oh, it's just going to be more stuff. Just going to be what we're used to, more stuff. You know, this word, this Bible, has the most treasured articles for us to hold on to and look for, to appreciate. It's not just more stuff. Each week when Pastor Jeff comes up here and opens up the word and and shares that word with us, it is the Holy Spirit of God that transmits to us, illuminates for us the treasured truths of the word of God. Here's what God's word actually says about itself. They are more, speaking of the scriptures, they are more precious than gold than much fine gold. They are sweeter than honey, than the honey in the honeycomb. Lord God, as we come to open up your word this morning, I pray, I pray that this will not just be more stuff. I pray, God, that your spirit will work through us, through into us, work into us and illuminate your truths to us. I pray, Lord, that we will come to appreciate you more and more for the value that, it, that you are to us. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you had a favorite teacher when you were growing up in and uh, went to school. Uh, I know I did. I, there, were, there, were, there were several, but I can remember those that I appreciated most, I wanted to be close to. I wanted to be uh, up front or near them so that I could hear them. I wanted to, to grab hold of what they were saying. I wanted to, to just emulate them in, in many ways. I wanted to learn from them. We're going to look at... Uh, this passage this morning in, uh, in light of Jesus as a teacher. And there could be, I believe there are benefits for us that we can learn from this just by observing those who were learning from him. Just by looking at, at what is taking place around him and in the lives of those people. And, and so as we look at this, we're going to look at, at how they listened, how they learned, and how they leaned upon him. And so uh, that's where we're going to, to go with this passage this morning. You know, ever since Jesus turned his face towards Jerusalem, we read about that back in chapter 9, he's been teaching the disciples. He's been teaching those that were following him. He sent out the 72, they came back, and he taught them about what they had experienced. He tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. He will tell many more parables in the, in the weeks to come as we, as we uh, look into this word. And now, as he comes into the home of Mary and Martha there at the end of chapter 10, uh, he's again teaching. So we're going to look at this listening aspect of the of, uh, of our teachers and and listening to them. I want you to notice how this takes place. 
Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered, entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, note this, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. First thing that I, I, I pick up on that is the fact that she got into position. She got into, she got into her place to listen. Mary did. Did you just, te- just think about that for a moment? The idea of, I want to listen to this one who is going to teach me. I want to get in position to do that. Do you have a place where you go into position to listen to Jesus? You have a place that you kind of set aside to where now I'm going to focus on him. That's what Mary was doing here. The word sat in that, in that uh, verse, uh, the Greek word is actually a fairly long Greek word. I'm not even going to try to uh, say it for you. However, it starts out with a prefix, para, P-A-R-A, para, long Greek word. And uh, we get... Whenever you see the word para, uh, it has a particular meaning. It has the idea of being alongside, parallel. Uh, The tracks on the railroad are parallel. They are alongside one another. Paragraph. Sentences in in our writings are written and placed alongside one another to make sense. Paragraph. What Mary was doing was para, long Greek word, coming alongside near to Jesus. Coming alongside. When you go to spend your time with Jesus, you want to listen to him. I would encourage you to visualize yourself, see yourself next to him. See yourself sitting at his feet. See him looking at you and enjoying your presence with him. Put a sock in it. We'll say that phrase from time to time, meaning be quiet. It's time to shut up. It's time to just sit quietly and listen. If I'm talking with you or sharing a conversation with you and you are talking, I know you are not listening to me (laughs) and vice versa. So Mary sat and listened to Jesus, meant that she was quiet, she was attentive to him. When I was uh, uh, pastoring, uh, there was... (laughs) Unfortunately, I buried more than I married, but I, there, there, there were uh, some who would come to me and ask that I perform a marriage. And I wouldn't do that unless I had first spent some time premarital counseling. And one of those times would, would always involve uh, in, uh, passing on or talking about good communication skills. Active listening is one of those skills that I tried to convey or tried to teach to them. Active listening is, goes something like this. I sit and listen to what you're saying, and before I speak, I repeat back to you what I just understood you to say. In order for me to do that, I have to really focus on what you are saying. I have to focus on 
what you are saying, and I repeat it back to you, and you uh, acknowledge, yeah, I think you got it. Now, let me tell you what I'm thinking. And so that's how the conversation goes. Really slows down conversations a lot. Because most of the time, when we listen and listen to someone, we are starting to formulate in our mind, I'm coming back with this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this back. I'm going to defend myself in this way. If you practice active listening, you'll be amazed at, uh, at uh, the relational uh, uh, development that takes place between the two of you. Jesus, uh, Mary sat and listened. She put a sock in it. If you'll notice, there are three characters in this little story, Martha, Jesus, and Mary. Only Mary does not speak. That tells us something. Thirdly, make it a priority. Martha was in the, uh, prob uh, probably the kitchen area or where uh, foods were prepared. Uh, she was being, uh, uh, the verse says, verse 40, she was being distracted with much service. That means she was overcome with all of the things that she wanted to have prepared and have everything just right for Jesus. She was doing a good thing. It was a good thing. Martha is not bad in terms of what she was trying to do. But Jesus comes to her and he says, Martha, Martha, I, loved how, I love how Alice read that passage. Came out like, Martha, Martha, I really care for you and what you're doing. But you are being distracted by the many things that are going on. You are being over, overburdened with, with uh, the anxiety, the worry about that. There's only one thing necessary and Mary has chosen that good part. And it's not going to be taken away from her. Make listening to Jesus a priority. How many times have you come in here to church? You're ready to listen to things that are going on, and your mind is going to tomorrow's, uh, I'm back at work, and this is what's happening there, and this is going on, and everything, all of a sudden, uh, other things are distracting your attention. Make listening your priority. Make it attention, attention to him what you would uh, desire to, to have. One of the things that's come out several times in the messages that Pastor Jeff has given and provided for us in this whole series as he's come back to Luke is that uh, we need to beware of performance-based Christianity. It isn't about our doing, it's about our being. He wants us, he wants our heart. Yeah, it'll result in our doing because we desire to love him and when we put love for Jesus first and foremost, seek first his kingdom, seek after him, delight in him, when that comes into us, it's no longer head to hand, that's what I'm going to do. It's head to heart, and it flows from there. Make being your priority. I think that's, that's an awesome thought is as Jesus, you know, as Jesus was talking there with Mary and Martha, I, he, he didn't put down 
the, necessarily the things that were going to be there. It'll be okay, Martha. Put your attention right here with me. Well, that's listening. How about learning from Jesus? How about, what are some things that we can pick up on, on, on learning? In chapter 11, uh, Jesus is continuing on his way, and uh, it opens up with saying, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Well, I think the disciples noticed that. Learning from Jesus uh, requires that we observe his routine, that we observe what he is doing, that we observe where, where he's going. We observe his interaction with others, his compassionate heart that comes out. And what the disciples observed on this particular time was that they observed him praying. I don't think this was the first time Jesus had prayed. I'm sure it wasn't. I know they had seen him do that before. They had come along, they had heard back from John's disciples, and John's disciples talked about how John had taught them to pray. They came to Jesus and said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Now, Jesus was praying. That was his routine. That's how he went about his, his day. Uh, the the, the uh, growth groups this week, you're going to spend some time observing Jesus in prayer and, th and thinking through what is it that we can learn about, about prayer just by observing him in that aspect. He got alone. He spent some time with his father regularly. It was almost like he was constantly praying. I think that's a scripture. Yeah. Pray without ceasing. Jesus was praying, and they observed his routine in that. Secondly, ask and hear his reply. If we ask of him, he will reply. The verse says, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And the next verse says, and he said to them. He answered them. He replied to them. Ask and he'll reply. One of the things that, uh, that Jackie and, uh, and I do from time to time is we'll, we'll ask, well, how's God been speaking to you lately? What's God been saying to you lately? It's kind of, I it's a question that I've learned to expect from time to time. It kind of causes me to, when I spend my time in the word of God, in my quiet time alone, it causes me to want to listen so I have an answer to that question because <laughs> I know it's going to come. It causes my focus to be there. He will reply to you if we but ask. Thirdly, Notice his relationship, his relationship to God. Take note of that. Here's the Lord's Prayer. This is the uh, Luke rendition of it. 
we quoted the Matthew uh, rendition earlier. Although, you know, I think these are two different incidents. The Matthew account of the Lord's Prayer was given on the Sermon on the Mount. The Luke account was given as a response to the question of the disciples. But yet they follow the similar pattern. You maybe you can't read the title at the top of that slide, but I'm, I'm, the question I'm, I'm kind of putting forth is, what's the most important word? What's the most important part of this, this prayer? You know, maybe it's the, uh, your kingdom come. I mean, uh, this world is, is in chaos, like uh, Tony prayed this morning and uh, pointed out that everything is, God, just bring your kingdom. Let's, let's go. Let's get on with it. Maybe it's that. How about give us each day our daily bread? I mean, that's important. I, I, I can't live without my bread. God, give me that. How about forgive us? Forgive us. Certainly we need forgiveness. Uh, we are, are sinners. Uh, we have been freed from the, the penalty of sin when we came to receive Christ but we're still under the power of sin. We've been, been uh, released, uh, sanctified, being uh, processed, if you will, so that we are freed from the, the power of sin. Eventually, we're going to be free from the presence of sin in, in glory. But So maybe it's forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. I don't want to. I, I don't want to sin, and so I don't want to be in that place. And and God, I uh, I pray for that. You know what I think the most important word in this verse in this prayer might be. Father. Father. Notice the relationship Jesus had to God. He called him Father. He called upon that aspect of God that he was looking for in terms of uh, his uh, uh, knowing that his father would give him nothing but the best. Father. It's a family relationship. It's a relationship that God has called us to into because we have believed and received. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed on, the, on his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. You are his child if you've done that. Father. I think it's the most important word. Jesus had told Nicodemus, you must be born again. In order for our prayers to have any real effect... I believe we have to have this relationship with God. There's one command in all of Scripture to the non-believer. All of the other commands, I think, are for us as believers. You can check me on this. Maybe I'm, I'm wrong. But the one command is this one. You must be born again. Because until you are, all of the things that you do are nothing. The Bible tells us they are like filthy rags, even the good things that you think you're doing. Until we come to be born again, until we are in this relationship with God, until we can call him Father, the rest of it's all kind of meaningless. 
Are you born again this morning? Can you call him Father? And then we want to lean on Jesus. Lean on Jesus. In order to learn and really gain the benefit from him as our teacher, I got to listen, put a sock in it, and just listen. I got to learn from him by paying attention to him and, and what, he, what he does and, and what he's saying and, and how uh, his relationship is to God. But then we come to this lean on Jesus. What Jesus does in this latter part of the text that was read is he kind of illustrates for us some things about prayer, I think, that are worthy of note. I want to talk a little bit about the context of his illustration, first of all. In the context of this illustration, it is the Eastern hospitality uh, context. In the Eastern hospitality, uh, if a friend came to visit you, if someone came to visit you who was traveling, it was, it was your responsibility to treat them hospitably, invite them in. Jackie and I visited Turkey a few years ago. <laughs> it's been 10 years ago now. I have a cousin that, uh, that's a missionary there in Turkey, and we visited them, and, and they took us around to uh, the, the malls in Turkey the marketplaces, but in the malls, I, I noticed this taking place. As we would come past one of the merchants there, there was usually a table right out, out front of their, their shop, and uh, they would invite us over to sit and not to talk about what was inside the shop, but to have tea with them. We would, they, would, they would say, here, have some tea with us, enjoy the tea. They wanted to develop a relationship with us before, <laughs> before we went in and and looked at what the, they had to offer. Eastern hospitality reaches out in terms of relationship and, and, and building that. It, it, it had this obligation to accommodate. At the time of Jesus, the, in this illustration that he's sharing, uh, the, uh, the homes in, in that part of the world would have been probably one or at most two-room homes that would serve as, as both living room, den, kitchen, and bedroom. <laughs> and that the family would, would all sleep on the floor together in the one room. If the door was open, which usually was during the day for hospitality to take place, that's how it would be. But if the door was shut, it was as if you were putting up the do not disturb sign on your motel room door. It was like the, the family's in bed for the night. Uh, if it can wait, come back tomorrow. It's kind of how it was. However, in this story that Jesus tells, the friend has a need. Why? Because he had a friend that came to visit him. 
He was trying to accommodate his friend that had come to him, and now he's gone to his friend who he knew he could uh, go to and uh, was assured that uh, he was going to be able to provide the needs that he had. He goes to him after the door's been shut and probably the family is all asleep and knocks on the door. Give me some bread. I have a friend that's come. I need to, I need to provide. Go away. The family's asleep. <laughs> I'm not ready. <laughs> no, can it wait? Knock, knock, knock. I need this. I need this to show my hospitality to my friend. The text tells us that, and this is the content of the illustration, the text tells us that um, because of his impudence, that is his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. But just ahead of that, it says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, because of his persistence, he will give it to him. So do you think Jesus is trying to teach us, you got to just keep going. You got to be persistent in praying in order to get what you need out of God. Is God reluctant? We have a reluctant God. I'm asleep right now. My family's in bed. Come back tomorrow. I've never known God to be like that. Is Jesus trying to teach us persistence? Well, yeah, because later on in, in uh, Luke, in Luke 18, uh, he gives a parable about the impudent, the persistent widow. So there is something to say about being persistent in prayer. We ought to be persistent. We ought to continue. God already knows what we need. Some, some people will argue, well, if that's what it, how it is, then I don't need to pray anymore. I'll say it once, and that'll be it. No, God wants to hear the, the cry of our heart. He wants to know that we really mean what we intend for and ask of him. Later on in this same passage, when he says, ask and you will, and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. Those tense of those verses is, is ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. So yes, there is an element of this content that Jesus is trying to teach about being persistent. Well, then does that mean he's not talking about a relational purpose? It's not either or, it's both. It's not either or, it's both. God is not a reluctant friend. He is a compassionate father. I tell you, uh, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks knock, finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? He's talking about a fatherly relationship. Oh, we talked about that earlier in Father, hallowed be your name. <laughs> That's how Jesus opens his prayer. It's this relationship, once again, that he's seeking, that he's seeking for. 
In 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, it says this. And we have this confidence in approaching God that whatever we ask according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask. Now, does this mean, oh, good, I'm going to get whatever I want? Did you catch the part of it that said, if we ask according to his will? Another verse that people will often quote or go to is Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Oh, good, I'm going to get the desires of my heart. <laughs> well, the first part says, delight yourself in the Lord. If you put your delight in the Lord, he's going to give you, he's going to put the desires of him in you. And the, what you ask for is going to be his desires. <laughs> oh, that's how it works. Yeah. See, God doesn't always give us what we want. Paul uh, shared that idea when, when he shared in 2 Corinthians how that he had this thorn in the flesh that he couldn't get rid of. We don't know exactly what it was. It was something that bothered him about his ministry or about himself. He prayed three times, it says. He was persistent in praying that God would remove that. And God's answer to him was, my power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul learned to be content with what he had. Hmm. It seems to me that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Eden or in the Garden of Gethsemane. <laughs> he was probably in the Garden of Eden too, but I mean in Gethsemane. He said, Father, if it were possible, could this cup pass from me? Yet not my will, but yours be done. Something about his relationship to God that caused him to want to pray in a way that was fully devoted to God's will. Whatever, whatever your will is, Lord, I accept that. Those are hard things sometimes. Sometimes we think we're getting a scorpion or a serpent of, in, that comes in our life. But I tell you this, God knows what's best for us. And we can trust that he will give that. How do I know that? I'm not just making this stuff up. Look at the last verse, verse 13. If you then, 
who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See that how much more part? That's him knowing what's best. We gotta trust him in that. Oh, that's the concluding point in this passage. We gotta trust that he cares. Trust that what Jesus has just shared with us is true. That God will give the best to us. Trust that he cares. Kind of find Martha's question to Jesus interesting. There Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, contemplating and taking in all that Jesus had. And maybe Martha's out there and she kind of hears parts of it and she's getting jealous of, of what's taking place. Oh, I want to be there, but I, this has to be taken care of. She was distracted with all the things. And she turns to Jesus, Jesus, don't you care? Yeah. Oh, yes, he cares. Because his response was not a curt Martha, buck up. Martha, stop your griping. Martha, Martha! It wasn't anything like that. It was Martha, Martha. He cares. He cares for what's going on in our lives. He cares for what's taking place. And we got to trust him that he, what he has said he will do. 1 Peter 5, 7 says this. Cast all your cares upon him. Cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. This is not stuff that I make up. This is valuable treasures of God that we can take to heart. I like the uh, Phillips translation of that verse in 1 Peter. Here's what the Phillips translation says. It says... You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him, for you, you are his personal concern. It's amazing to me that as, I, as I've gone traveling in different places, and I'm, I'm sure maybe you've observed this, when, when we would go visit Dan and Natalie, our son and daughter-in-law in California, and go to Disneyland, for example, and there were just tons of people, crowds of people, and out of all of those people, every one of those believers, those who were able to call him father, he had a personal concern for each and every one of them. Oh, he loves the others as well, but uh, he had a personal concern for you. When you get lost in the crowd somewhere, he's personally watching over you and caring for you. That's, that's I just can't fathom that. What a humbling thought. Trust. We've got to trust that Jesus cares. I'll tell you another story and then we'll close. I attended uh, um, first grade at 91 grade school, just out, outside of uh, Canby here in, in, the, in the needy area. Needy, there you go. That's, a, that's an interesting name. 
fitting for all of us who are needy. <laughs> but that's where I went to first grade. And then uh, before I got in, entered second grade, uh, uh, my, my mom and dad moved us, our family, my brothers and I, into Portland. And that's where we were for a number of years before I went to Alaska later on and met my wife in Alaska. That's another story, and I'm not telling that story. I want to tell about, I want to tell about how that when we made this move to, to Portland, I was in second grade, so what, seven, eight, nine years old maybe, and, uh, and we got into this house uh, there in southeast Portland, and it had a huge tree just out in the backyard. Uh, and it, it went up and had branches that went out, nice sturdy limbs, and then some other limbs that went on up. For a young boy, this was a perfect climbing tree. What a challenge. What an opportunity to get out there and climb a tree. And there I was. And so I don't know if I climbed it on a dare from my brothers or, or if I just decided this was something to do. And so I climbed that tree. I was going to see how high I could go. And I got up there. I would say 15 feet, maybe, uh, up off the ground. It was easy because I was seeing up above and I could see where to reach and where to go and where to climb. I get up there and the limbs are starting to get not as, not as sturdy and not as strong and I look down and oh my, I'm way off the ground. I froze. I, I didn't, I couldn't move. I couldn't, I, I, I didn't want to take that lift up where I was standing and reach down to that next, next lower limb. I, I couldn't move. I called to my brothers for help, and they just kind of laughed at me. And then, and then they, they uh, I don't know if my dad heard me crying out or what, but I, uh, he, dad showed up. And instead of scolding me for doing a silly thing, dad climbed up to the, where those first branches reached out, and he stood there to where he could free up his hands. He reached up, but he couldn't quite reach me. And he said, Bob, just let go. I'll catch you. And it was just a couple of inches, probably, that I had to let go. But I was very reluctant to do that. And finally, he said, Bob, just let go. Trust me. I let go, and Dad caught me and put me on the ground. That's what it's like with God. He's saying, just let go and trust me. Trust me that I'll take care of you. Trust me that what I'm saying to you, that I will give you the much more for your life. I will give you the best for your life. Like again, again, I would say, sometimes we think we're getting the serpent or the scorpion, but he sees the fish that he's really got to give you. Jeremiah 17.7 says this. Blessed 
is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in you. This is not just stuff I'm giving you. This is the truth of God's word. Well, okay, you know we're about done because here's so what. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do when it comes time to learning from God, to, to sitting at the, the feet of Jesus, to, to taking in what he has for us? We have to listen to him, we have to learn from him, and we have to learn to lean upon him. Lean upon him. There's a, there's a song that we used to sing in church uh, years ago, uh, not leaning on the everlasting arms. That's another one about leaning. Learning to lean. And the chorus goes like this. Learning to lean, learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Finding more power than I've ever seen. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Do you see that in that, that chorus, there's, there's a couple of our principles right there. Learning and leaning. Now just listen to him. I said one more story. Here's, here's one, more, one last one, I promise you. That's a cane. As my dad was starting to fail and his uh, legs were starting to give out, uh, we got him a cane. And dad, I don't know, he, he didn't, I, I, I don't know if it was pride or what, he didn't, he didn't want to take that cane out. He didn't want to, he didn't want to use the cane. And we, there, we would sit around the living room at home and he'd pick up that cane and point us at it, point it at us, or, or he'd, he'd whack me on the back as I walked by. I mean, it, that's how he used the cane, but he didn't use it to walk. And his legs got weaker and weaker and weaker, and he started to actually fall a few times, and, and he finally started to pick up that cane. And when he would use it, he found out that he could lean upon the cane. And it provided him the support that he needed to walk. He learned to lean. Lord God, I pray. I pray that today as we come to the end of this service that we will be attentive to you and, and what 